Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I will tell you that the most impactful thing about it actually has been that day in, day out, a big part of what I do is that I talk to entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, some of them are very famous and that's cool. Most of them are not. And yet what they're doing is fascinating. And the way that they think is fascinating and absorbing that has been fascinating. Like it has transformed me and the way that I think about myself and my own work by spending all of this time talking to these people. And I started to use the word calibrate. Like I was calibrating my mind to how they think. It was very different from how I used to think. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen... The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, and business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, Dees? What's up? Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to have you here. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have an amazing guest today. My main man, Jason Pfeiffer, is in the house. Jason, what's up, brother? Here I am. Well, you guys, um, those of you that are new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're, up, we're about two things. We're people about who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my main man, Jason here, is doing both those things. So we're going to be diving into that in just a second. Do you mind if I give a little bit of background on how you and I connected? Sure, go for it. So those of you that have watched the show have seen that we interviewed Hala Taha, who's a, who's a friend, and I'm actually a client of hers now. And she said, oh, you've you got to get Jason on the show. You guys are both doing stuff in the world of entrepreneurism. He's, and we'll be talking about it in a second, but he's the, the uh, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. So he'd be a great guest for the show, especially with all the things that we and the Greatness Machine believe that entrepreneurs are capable of. So uh, yeah, she made the connection, and here we are. Man, you know... I want to go into your formal bio and then we can jump into the show, but it just blows my mind that, you know, you're, you're with entrepreneur. That's no joke, man. That's kind of, no. that's kind of, you're kind of a big deal, right? 
Some would say. Some would say. I mean, I don't say, but it's a big deal job. It is. It's I'm very honored to have it. So, guys, Jason is best known as the guy who gets you excited for the future. Jason Pirate is passionate about helping people become more resilient in a world of constant change. He's the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, host of the Build for Tomorrow and Problem Solver podcasts, and author of Mr. Nice Guy and Build for Tomorrow. He's worked as editor of Men's Health, Fast Company, Maxim, and Boston Magazine, and has written about business technology for the Washington Post, Slate, New York, and others. And his top three core values, do you mind if we jump into your core values? Because you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, three core values. So, so those of you guys that know the show know that I'm a big fan of, of core values. His number one core value, be nice. Number two, be accessible. And number three, change is opportunity. So man, here we are, my brother. Um, here we are. You laid it all out. You know what? I said, let's get it out of the way and then we'll go get right into it. So man, how did, how did you like get into this world? I mean, I went through your, your LinkedIn profile, did some background search on you. I mean, obviously you got into the world of journalism and really mm-hmm. worked your way up. But yeah, take us back in time. Like take us to the day one. How did you decide this is what you want to do with yourself? Oh, well, I have a day one. The thing is, I think most people end up doing something that is immensely satisfying to them that they could not have envisioned or possibly didn't even know existed on day one or day 50 or day whatever. I'm not really sure what day we're counting from here, but I can tell you that when I graduated college, I'd never heard of Entrepreneur Magazine. And my goal certainly wasn't to be editor-in-chief of it. I started as a newspaper reporter, a local community news, which I didn't want to do either, frankly, but that was the thing that was most immediately available to me. All I knew at the time was that there is something really powerful about going out, talking with people, learning what is happening in their lives, learning what's happening in, in communities, and then relaying that information to others. And that appealed to me. And I didn't know exactly what to do with that. And I figured the only way to know was to just get going. And so I just took the first job available, which was at this tiny little place. And that's it. I mean, look, the uh, I could kind of ramble on about my backstory, but I'll tell you one thing that I learned in that first job that I think did really lead me to where I am now, even though it was very indirect. And again, I didn't hear the name Entrepreneur Magazine for many years to come. I was working at this tiny little paper, Gardner News, 6,000 circulation. I mean, this is 6,000 circulation in 2002. I don't know what it was now. And covering North Central Massachusetts where like nothing's happening, right? I mean, I was working in this tiny little town. Nothing is happening. And I wanted to, didn't know exactly, but what I knew was I wanted to work at scale. I wanted to work doing big, important things for big audiences. Like what that was, I didn't know, but I just knew it had to be big and I wanted to do it and I felt like I could. And here I am in this tiny little town writing about high school musicals and stuff. And if I'm lucky, otherwise it's the middle school musical. And <laughs> I I was like, I hated it and I felt sour. And I came to realize something about a year into it. And that was that these places that I wanted to write for, Washington Post, New York Times, whatever, at no point was anybody at these publications ever, ever, ever going to email me and say, kid, we read that story about the middle school musical. It was fantastic. Come take over our Washington beat. We're like, come on down. We're like, this is not going to happen. No way. I don't believe that. Yeah. It's it's like, it's not how it happens. It's just, (laughs) that's not how it happens. 
so I needed to go to them. Like I couldn't sit around showing up at this job that I wasn't really into and having these aspirations and thinking that showing up at the job was going to get me a fulfillment of the aspirations. It wasn't. I had to do something. I had to go to these people. So I quit the job. I quit the job. I sat in my bedroom, which was in this tiny town in Massachusetts next to a graveyard. And I just cold pitched and just cold pitched editors for months, for like nine months. And got a bunch of stories. I got a Washington Post story. I got an Associated Press story. I got a Boston Globe story. And this started to build relationships. This started to teach me that it was possible to work at this level and what it took to work at this level. And, you know, they weren't going to hire me, but they would take a one-off pitch for me and pay me 500 bucks or something. And I will do that, man, because I just need to learn and grow. And that is the thinking that I have used ever since. That in one way or another is the way that I got to entrepreneur because I just kept going to places and never, ever sitting around waiting for people to come to me. Oh man. I love that. It's so funny. Like I'm reading, um, you know, Steve Schwartzman, his book. No, um, he's the, I think it's black rock. Blackstone. Oh yeah. 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 So I'm reading that book right now. And, and it's, he's like, I'm at the part where he's at, he's in, it's a big beginning of the story, but he's in Yale. And he said, you know, I realized early on, that doing anything or doing anything big, the, the only difference is scale, right? Yeah. Like, like take the variable of time and energy is the same, mm-hmm. right? So whether right. you're like pitching the middle school Matilda performance or you're pitching on the world stage, the time and energy as- aspects are exactly the same. It's a question of where you direct in that energy. So yeah. I love that, man. That's really yeah. cool. Fun fact, I've been to Steve Schwartzman's daughter's house uh, because uh, her name is Zibby. She has a podcast about books and uh, it's very nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope. I mean, when you got that kind of money, it's a very nice place. Yeah, if your dad's a billionaire, you can't be slumming it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's not a good look for the family. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, obviously the pitching worked um, and you ended Mm -hmm. up kind of working through all these different companies. Funny enough, I had a friend a long time ago who who was a writer for Maxim and Mm. he he was always pitching stories to them. So like one of the things, his name is, gosh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name right now. But anyway. Yeah, I love um, that guy. What's that? I said, I love that guy. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, great guy. You should read his stuff. Yeah. Um, Jake, his name is, his first name is Jake. And okay. Last name. Narrows so, it down. Jake from Maxim. Sure. There's only been probably 74 guys named Jake who yeah. worked for Maxim. It's, yeah. like, it's, it's an easy one, mm. but <laughs> I can't believe I forgot his last name, but he, uh, you know, he would do stuff where he would come up with these crazy ideas and pack, p- pitch up. Right. So one of us was like anybody and their mother can put their name in the draft for the NBA. Like I didn't know this, but he knew it. And he was like mm-hmm. some like six foot tall, skinny white dude from Philly yeah. And, and he thought it'd be funny if he got his name in the draft and then he went into press conferences for himself and like all this stuff. And it was like this big joke, right? But yeah. He was always doing all these really funny ideas. And that was how he got his start. He was a com- he got in comedy. But is that like when you're pitching all these different papers, was it you come up with an idea and you're like, hey, I think this would be an interesting story. And you pitch the editor to see if they were, they were interested in that story. Like walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So the world of freelance journalism it looks like this. If you're a freelance writer, come up with a story idea, go report it out a bit, as, which is that's a really crucial part that a lot of people miss. Oftentimes people pitch, you know, a, a mistake people make when they want to write for a publication is that they often pitch topics, not stories. It's a really critical distinction, right? 
marketing is important. That's a topic. It's not a story. And a story is here's the here are the people involved. Here's the interesting things that are going on. Here's what the people, here's what the reader's going to learn. Here's, there's this great scene that I found as I was, you know, looking into this. Here's, right. It's like, I have to understand how this thing is actually going to unfold for my reader. And so what I would do is I'd come up with some crazy idea. Like uh, the very first Washington Post story I ever did was about, of all things, of all random things in the world, distance sex therapy, which was a, this is, you know, we're talking 2003 now. So Brand new concept. Uh, you know, the, I mean, at this point, most people didn't have a streaming video capabilities on their computers. I don't know that anybody did. It's certainly not good. And uh, smartphones didn't exist. So, you know, this is like the idea of better help and, you know, the way that people do remote therapy now. That didn't exist back then. This is, mm-hmm. So, but there had been this interesting growing cohort of sex therapists who were offering distance, like v- virtual in some form or another, sometimes by phone, sometimes by email therapy to people who mostly were living in places in the country where they just didn't have access to a therapist who could understand their particular problems uh, or just were really uncomfortable walking in to a therapist's office to talk about it. And uh, and I found that interesting. I pitched it to the health section of the post. But before I did that, I talked to some of these people, right? Got a sense of what's going on. Got a sense of what the conflict is, right? Like these people are doing this. These people are concerned about it. Well, this is what everyone was discussing now. And then I, and then I, uh, I write it up and usually you know, three, four paragraphs and I send it off to the editor. And then in this case, the editor, cause you know, I was brand new. I was a total rookie here. The editor, his name was Susan Morris replied and asked to get on the phone with me, which of course, I mean, my heart like nearly collapsed upon itself. Said yes, of course. So we got on the phone and she's asking me all these questions about how I would do the story and this and that. And I don't remember what she was asking me. But anyway, I was doing my best to keep up with it. And at the end, she said, well, look, I'm not willing to say yes, but I'm not willing to say no. So if you want to do more work on this, then let me know. Uh, then, you know, like come back to me with uh, some more details and answers and whatever, right? Like I also had to convince her that I could do this. I was, mm-hmm. the only thing I'd ever done was work at this tiny little community newspaper for a year. And now I'm supposed to write about this complicated subject for the Washington Post. So anyway, I just reported the absolute hell out of it. I contacted, I don't know, dozens of people. I wrote a 3,000 word outline for her with like every possible detail of what could go in the story. This story never, story didn't run at 3,000 words, probably ran at half that. And uh, anyway, I sent that all off to her and she said, okay, you got it. And that was my first story for the Washington Post, like my first big story. Now, people do that to me all the time. They send me pitches, but oftentimes they send me very half-assed pitches. They send me like, here's, you know, you know what it reads like? It reads like they read about something in the news and then they're writing a pitch based off it, but they've done absolutely no research. They haven't talked to the people. They don't know really anything. And they often ask questions in the pitch that sound like interesting questions, but I don't care about your questions. I care about your answers. I wonder if the reason that this company is doing this is because it represents this interesting thing. That sounds possibly interesting, but we don't know the answer because you haven't done any reporting. So I, how could I say yes to that? Right? Don't ask me, don't pose questions to me. I don't care about questions. I care about answers. That's a mistake that people make. But people, you know, when people do their work and they bring something that is really done with an understanding of the audience, then, uh, you know, I, I'm often very excited about it. And that's a lesson for anybody pitching anything. That's not a journalism thing. I mean, look, if you're going to reach out to anybody, you better understand what they need or what their audience needs or whatever, and how exactly to serve them. Otherwise, they're not going to do it. You have to do all the work for them, do right. the work for them so that they 
we'll let you do that work. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. I was trying to buy a bank, right? This is like five or six years ago because I, I, you don't know me that well, but I was in the mortgage industry and, and my, my business partners and I tried buying a bank in, in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And the bank regulators have a term for what you just talked about which they call it a high hurdle, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting anything done is a high hurdle in banking because you have to do the work for them. You have yeah. to remove every, and because banking, essentially you're a franchise of the United States Fed, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to remove every single reason for them to tell you no out of the equation to right. get to the yes, because everything's a high hurdle. And what I heard you just say is essentially that, which is a lot of times people don't want to do the work. So they go out there, there's a ton of objections. You're an unknown entity. There's no relationship. We don't know anything about you. And they're not willing to do that work because at the end of the day, it's work, right? Yeah. 
And I think that I do think that relationships are a risk removal process, right? You build that relationship by removing the risk, the risk of pure person not performing, the risk of the unknown of what what the reader is going to think, all those different things that you were just talking about. You did the work, right? And in doing that work, you essentially removed every objection to them making a decision that was adverse to what you wanted the outcome to be, right? That's right. And at the end of the day, you know, that's obviously served you very well. So congratulations on that, man. That's a great, a great intuition on your part. And, you know, at the end of the day, you did the work. So uh, there was a quote I read yesterday that went something like, where many great starts start with genius, but work is how everything is completed. I, but by the way, I just butchered that quote. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, you got it. I mean, that, that's, I haven't heard it, but that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I mean, look, I don't, I do a lot. And, uh, and by a lot, I mean run a national magazine, host you podcasts, sorry, books, just do startup advising, do travel around and talk and all that stuff. And uh, people ask, people ask various versions of like, oh, how do you do that? Or how, how do you, you know, are you just kind of built in a different way? And the answer is like, no, I just, I'm just doing the work, right? Like, I just think that I, I've just prioritized it in a way that other people may not have. And, you know, that's not to say also that I haven't like lucked out. Some things have broken my way, certainly. I, I, they could have said no when I applied to be editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur. I'm fortunate that they said yes. But ultimately, you know, I, I think that work, like just doing the work and being committed to it and knowing that it's going to be like bad for a while and being okay with that gets you over most of the hurdles. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. You know, uh a line I love, I was talking to Ryan Reynolds for the cover of the magazine a little while ago. And, um, and he said, in order to be good at something, you have to be willing to be bad. And that's true. And that's a great, that, what that is, is doing the work, right? That's like, you just have to do the work enough that you tolerate being bad and you understand that the only way to not be bad is to keep being bad for a while until you get better at it. And I think a lot of people just get, they get stuck at bad and they don't realize that everyone who they see who is good also went through the bad. Yeah. You know, and I think there's obviously some people have more of a talent for one thing versus another, but at the end of the day, if you're measuring yourself against yourself, you know, odds are you're going to be bad at stuff when you start to your point, right? Yeah. But the, you know, but the talent, so the talent thing is interesting because I think that like at the very beginning, you asked me how did I get to where I was starting at day one, right? And the answer is that I didn't set any particular goal. I instead was open to what I came across. I'm going to start with one thing because that's, that's what I got. And I'm going to have an idea of where I'm building towards, but I'm also going to be willing to abandon that when something new comes along. And what I am doing now in some way or another, abstractly enough, relies upon some of the initial skill set that that was required to do that first job, right? I mean, I was a newspaper reporter. Now I do all these other things. A lot of that requires writing. But I look back and don't think that I was a particularly good writer at the time. And mm -hmm. also a lot of the stuff that I learned, I, you know, I, I, I moved on from because I wasn't very good at. I wasn't a good newspaper reporter. I just wasn't. There are people who are really, really good at that job and it wasn't me. And, you know, and then I've tried on a lot of different other kinds of magazine writing. I have aspired to be many things that today I am not. Well, you know, what's the biggest thing that you aspired to be that if it had you told yourself back then, you're like, yeah, dude, there's no way you're going to do that. What would be like, well, give an, give an example. So there aren't as many of them now. 
in magazines. But there's this kind of class of magazine writer who is respected by all, whose stories are drooled over by every magazine writer who are, you know, largely writing for the New York Times Sunday Magazine and GQ and The New Yorker, and who are, they're all freelance. They're like, they're all, they're, uh, some of them are on staff, but usually they're freelancers. And they, they live a very comfortable, happy life pursuing whatever on earth they want to do, these crazy, wacky stories, and everybody loves them. And I just thought, I got to be one of those people. Like, I love those people's stories. I want that lifestyle. I want that freedom and flexibility to just kind of do whatever the hell I want, whenever the hell I want. Um, that's got to be me. And I tried that for a while. Like, I tried to be that for a while. And you know what? The thing is, those people are just better at magazine writing stories, the magazine stories than I am. They're just better at it. It's not where my skill set is. I'm, I'm a fine magazine writer, I think, but I, I didn't have what it took to be that. And it took me a while to accept that and uh, to not be disappointed by it and to not be disappointed that like, I've never written for The New Yorker. And I don't know that I ever will, but it was a goal of mine for a very, very long time. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't think I'll ever achieve it. And I'm okay with that because I ultimately was open to discovering all these other things. And you know, taking this job at Entrepreneur put me in this position to be this like advice giver guy, which I was not at all comfortable doing at first. And showed me all these other opportunities, get on stage and give a keynote to like a, you know, a bunch of senior people at some international company. I would have never thought I could do that or would be interested in that, but it's actually super fun and, and gratifying. And it pays well too, frankly, but that's, you know, to get there, I had to give up other ideas of what I was and to be okay in realizing that I'm not as good as I think I should be or am or could be at these other things. But some of that stuff, a little part of the DNA of that other thing that I was doing transfers over to this other stuff. It gave me a leg up on these other things that actually clicked better for me. So that when I go out and I do the thing that I'm doing now, people are like, man, you're really good at that. And you know what? I just wasn't getting that when I was just writing magazine stories. People would be like, oh, that was a good story. But nobody was like, man, you killed that, right? Like I didn't, never got that with magazines. Hey gang, Darius Mashaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years and I did it without costly growing pains and without the headaches that, that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're, you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've know you got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled our, my last company 
from 30 to 1,000 employees. And we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius, scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix, they simplify, and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time-consuming for a busy CEO like you and for my, like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video, and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. There's this formula that I created called the fulfillment formula that I think mm-hmm. you're speaking to directly right now, which is yep. if you work in your talents, uh-huh. live in your values and do it with a high level of awareness, it equals massive fulfillment. So when, when what I'm hearing you saying essentially is, yeah, I was pretty good at this, but and I didn't even know that, that my talents were that much better over here. And when I got there, man, did I get like, people were just telling me I'm killing it. On this thing, I didn't even know I was good at till I did yeah. it. That's so right. How, so how do you create more of those opportunities for yourself? Is it just you going out, playing in your strengths? Give us some background on that. So I like that formula. It's a good one. I, I've the thing that the way that I've come to think of that is um, is you find the intersection of what you're good at and what interests you. That's how I've thought about it for myself. Yeah. Right. Because uh, you know, for a while, like chasing the New Yorker is uh, is what I was interested in but it was not actually at the intersection of what I was good at. <laughs> so I got to find that intersection and how do I do it? So I do it by, this is something that I've done throughout my career. And it's really, you know, it started out with that first little story that I told you. And only later did I come to recognize the pattern and give it a name and a framework and all that stuff. So, you know, I'll tell you it now, but it's like, this is not how I was thinking about it for a lot of the time. But anyway, I call it work your next job. And work your next job goes like this. In front of you, Darius, in front of me, Jason, in front of everybody watching and listening, there are two sets of opportunities right now and always. Opportunity set A, opportunity set B. Opportunity set A is everything that is asked of you. You show up to work. You've got a boss. That boss needs things from you. There are deadlines. You, everything that is asked of you, doing a good job, that's opportunity set A. Opportunity set B is everything that is available to you, but that nobody is asking you to do. And that could be at your job. There are projects you could work on. There are teams you could join. Nobody's asking you to do it, but you could. But it could also be things outside your job. It could be that you really like listening to podcasts and you thought, maybe I should start a podcast. Nobody is asking you to do that, but you could. Doesn't take that much. Just go buy a microphone. I mean, Darius looks like he's got a kind of uh, fancy, expensive microphone, but I'll tell you this thing right here is a Samson Q2U. It costs, I think, $50 on Amazon. It's great. So there's your barrier to entry, $50. And then off to the races, go figure it out. What will this teach you? What will you learn from this? Who knows? But I am convinced, and I have proven it out in my own career. I am convinced opportunity set B is always more important. 
infinitely more important. Because if all you do is focus on opportunity set A, then all you ever really do is become qualified to do the thing that you're already doing. But opportunity set B is where growth happens. And so I suggest that at all times, you make sure that you are really delving into opportunity set B. It could be different things. And it, you may not know what the ROI is on it. And sometimes, frankly, there will be no ROI. But other times, the ROI may come in a completely unexpected way. For example, with myself, when I was a fast company years ago, uh, I was on the print team. If I was a print magazine editor. And they started a video department. A fast company. And I, nobody asked me to join it, but I joined it and got in front of the camera and learned how to be good on camera, which I didn't really know how to do. And uh, then I started to make some series for, uh, for fast company. And I had a, you know, I had a theory about what this was good for. What is this good for? I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll move into TV after this. Maybe I'll be done with magazines and I'll move into TV. That didn't really happen. Nobody gave me a TV show, but being comfortable on camera also gave me more control over my presentation style and my voice, which is like what you're hearing right now. And mm -hmm. that enabled me to feel confident starting a podcast later and also to start exploring speaking on stage and also to get in front of cameras in other ways. So like, you know, will hey, the Today Show wants you to come on and talk about whatever. Can you do it? Yes, I can because I'm comfortable in front of a camera now. And all of that led me years later, to a room where I was talking with the president and the CEO of Entrepreneur Media, publisher of Entrepreneur Magazine, talking about being their editor-in-chief. And one of the things that they really liked about me was that I could go out and advocate for the brand. You can put me on TV. You can put me on stage. I'm good for the brand. They want that in the person who's holding that job. And I have that ability because I stood in front of the camera at Fast Company because nobody, asked, even though nobody asked me to do it. So that's how it pays off. I have this job in some way because I stood in front of that camera at Fast Company. It's impossible to have predicted that that's how that line would be drawn, but that's how it was drawn. And the only way that you will ever discover what's at the end of that line, and by the way, there is no end of the line, right? Those skills, which enable these skills, which are going to enable other things and other things that I'm going to do. And this is why I'm still doing this kind of stuff now. But you will never know what's out there. You'll never know what's three, four, five steps ahead unless you take step one. And that is why opportunity set B is the most important. I love that, man. We have a good friend. She's been on the show a couple of times. And she was a stand-up comedian, played soccer in college outside LA, was a stand-up comedian, ended up becoming actually like pretty well known at like a Showtime special. Mm-hmm ends up on the side doing these like side comedic, like basically uh, like vi like small videos that they were putting on Bravo for yeah. like shots of sunset and these different shows. They liked those shows so much. They asked her to start doing some like assistant producing for real housewives. Mm -hmm. And anyway, the one thing leads to know she's now the executive showrunner and executive director producer of below deck, which is the number one show on Bravo. Mm. Really, it started because she was a stand-up comedian. That yeah. The things you're talking about. And I love that. yeah, when you just reminded me of that, which leads me to, you know, now you're in the big seat, you're editor in chief, which is a massive job of a worldwide magazine, one of my favorite magazines, entrepreneur.com. What, you know, tell us what it's like, man, to have that, to have this gig. I'd love to hear a few minutes about that. Like every job, like every cool thing, it is like at once remarkable and at once ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I was like, what do I spend most of my days doing? Versions of things that I had always done before, right? Uh, what was I doing 
right before our call, for example, I was writing a table of contents <laughs> and then I was responding to some emails. And, and I've got an email, you know, I got an inbox full of stories that I got to read and it, things that I got to respond to, right? You know, so like in some ways it's, it's not actually that remarkable, but in other ways it's, it's unbelievably remarkable, right? Because I, first of all, I have access to everybody, which is just really cool. Everybody takes my calls. I can fly down to Atlanta and sit down and talk with The Rock, uh, which I did. I dropped Ryan Reynolds' name a minute ago, right? Like, oh, I would like to put Ryan Reynolds on the cover of a magazine and talk with him about marketing. Okay, let's do it, right? Right, right, No, you don't get to just sort of come up with that stuff uh, otherwise. And I get to go places and people invite me to speak on their stage in front of thousands of people. It's very, very cool. Um, But I will tell you that the most impactful thing about it actually has been that day in, day out, a big part of what I do is that I talk to entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, some of them are very famous and that's cool. Most of them are not. And yet what they're doing is fascinating and the way that they think is fascinating and absorbing that has been fascinating. Like it has transformed me and the way that I think about myself and my own work by spending all of this time talking to these people. And I started to use the word calibrate. Like I was calibrating my mind to how they think. It was very different from how I used to think. And that's been amazing. And look, that's not something that that's not something that's exclusive to me, right? Anybody can do that. Just surround yourself with interesting people. Uh, but it was the way in which I've I got into that world, and uh, and that's been that's been remarkable. So yeah, you know, look like any job, anything, right? If you're a movie star, there's still a lot of like sitting around and waiting. You know, like not everything is glamorous, but it is uh, it is a privilege. When you say recalibrate, can yeah. you give an example of like yep. what is like a, what would be a really profound recalibration from Jason Pfeiffer before meeting these cool, interesting people? Yep. And Pfeiffer today. So many years ago, I wrote this or published this novel with my wife. It was called Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, it came out on a major publisher. We sold the TV rights, a couple of international rights. It was real cool. Um, and but anyway, it was a romantic comedy um, about two people who each week sleep together and then critically review each other's performance in a magazine. It was fun. And so when I, we had worked on it for many, many years, it just happened to be that by the time it came out, I was editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur. Like, like when we started it, I was not. I, we started it, I think it was a fast company. When we sold the book, when we sold the book to St. Martin's Press, uh, my writer friends all said the same thing. And that was, congratulations, that's so awesome. Entrepreneurs said something different. They said, wow, that's great. So what are you going to do with that? Or what's the purpose of that? Or so what does that lead to? Some version of that. And what I came is this was really, it's really struck me. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And what I realized was that the world that I had come from of writers, but it's not just writers, really, it's like people who don't think entrepreneurially, people who don't have that kind of mindset, often think horizontally, which is to say, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to move on to this, and then I'm going to move on to this, and then this, right? And so writers I, the writers do that, and I've done so much of that. I'll publish this thing, and then it's out, and then I'll move on to this other thing, and I'll start from scratch, and I'll publish another thing, and I'll start from scratch. Entrepreneurs do not do that. They think vertically. They stack right. on top of each other. The only reason to do something is because it leads to the thing that you put on top of it, and then you put another thing on top of it. And so to entrepreneurs, the only reason that I would publish a 
romantic comedy was because I had some plans to do something on top of that. Maybe that was that I was going to start like a writing coaching business or that I was going to get into uh, the television development or something. Like there was had to be some larger reason why I was publishing this book. And frankly, there wasn't. I, had, I hadn't even thought about it. The only reason I published the book was because we wrote it and we liked it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. That's fine. But I, the more time that I have spent with people, the more I've realized I actually like the idea of vertical thinking more. I like doing things because they lead to other things. I like figuring out how everything that I'm doing fits together in a way that builds upon itself so that I'm creating something that I have ownership over and so that I'm not starting from scratch every single time. That's a fundamental shift in thinking from horizontal thinking to vertical thinking. And it's the reason why the, the next book that I have coming out, which is called Build for Tomorrow, it comes out in September, is absolutely part of my vertical stack. It is a book about how to become more adaptable. And it is drawn from the lessons that I have learned talking to really brilliant entrepreneurs. And because, because the thing that I learned is that the most the thing that all successful entrepreneurs have in common is adaptability. That's the, that's the constant among them. So how do they do it and how can anybody do it? I spent years and years working on that and wrote this book on it. And that book fits into this vertical thing that I'm doing. Instead, I'm not doing horizontal anymore. I don't want to do a random one-off thing anymore. I want to build vertically. And that's that's a big shift. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like almost the difference between like an artistic mentality, right? Which is to create just for the sake of creation yeah. versus an entrepreneurial mentality. And I always have to joke, I'm like 40% artist, 60% CEO, which is what's the means to the end? Why am I doing it? What's the strategy around it? Totally right. different parts of the brain, even when we start talking about how you actually do those things. So that's, that's fascinating that that's, I love that mind shift. Now going to your, the, the new book, Build for Tomorrow, mm -hmm. you said, when is that coming out now? September, September 22. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I'd love to hear a minute about that. I know we're running short on time here. And I have one question that I want to end on. So I saved like 30 seconds for my final question. But but yeah, sure. give us like, you know, this is around adaptability. Is it, is it like, give us a little sneak peek. If we, if we... Yeah, so I'll give you the elevator pitch. The elevator pitch is this. I have found that change for individuals, for companies, for societies change happens in four stages. The first is panic, absolute panic. You're very familiar with it. Then adaptability or adaptation, then new normal. And then most importantly, wouldn't go back. Wouldn't go back being the moment in which you say, this new thing is so valuable to me that I wouldn't want to go back to a time before I had it. And I don't think this is, this doesn't happen by chance. People will, I think, whether they're prepared for it or not, reach a wouldn't go back moment through any moment of change, but it can be really hard. It can be really draining and it can take a long time for them to figure out what the purpose and meaning of it all is. I want to help people move through that faster. I want them to understand the panic, recognize it, understand how to put it away. I want them to adapt faster. I want them to build a new normal faster. And I want them to get to wouldn't go back faster because the faster that you can do that, the faster you can build amazing things and help other people along with you. So that's what the book is. It's divided into those four phases with lessons, uh, you know, through each, um, some of which I've kind of touched upon. Like, for example, there's a chapter on um, work your next job and that opportunity set A, opportunity set B thing. But tons of stuff that I've learned from people. Also, I'm drawing from lessons throughout history because I, I study the history of innovation through my podcast, which has the same name, Built for Tomorrow. And so ultimately, I want, I want people to uh, look at any moment of massive change and say, 
not this is great loss, but rather this can be great gain, but it is my job to find it and I can. Oh, wow. I have to talk to you about something offline. This pro- I'm chairperson of an event at MIT, and this, the, this, there's something. We'll I take, love it. We'll take yeah. This is a really, yeah. I'm like, uh, I got to talk to you. Great. Uh, <laughs> all right, my final question, and then and then we'll we'll wrap things up because I know you got to run. All right. So every entrepreneur I know, at least, at least maybe maybe I'm just running in these circles, uh, always has the dream of building the company or ending up on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine. How do you do it? <laughs> How do you end up on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine? Yep. Yeah, I, I know everybody. Uh, this uh, is a common question. It is a com- it is a pretty common question. Yeah, usually it, the question is, can I be on the cover of Entrepreneur? Oh, I, right? I mean, like, I'm thinking that, but yeah, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. So look, I wish that uh, the cover of Entrepreneur was some kind of reward for amazing entrepreneurial, you know, moves and whatever, but. But I, I just, you know, like, let's be, let's be frank about it. The cover of a magazine is a piece of marketing to sell the magazine. And so we put celebrities on the cover of the magazine, almost always, not every single issue, but, but most of the time, right? I mean, most of the time it's the, the most, I mean, what have we done recently? Uh, well, Ryan Reynolds, The Rock, uh, Selena Gomez, uh, Jimmy Fallon is on the cover right now, uh, you know, the big names uh, who are representative of the way that I think about it is my first filter for who should be for should this be person be on the cover is is this somebody the average person knows right. likes and feels like they can learn something from and uh, right so these are all people who have some business of, of some sort um, and they've learned something valuable and we're going to dig into the thing that they've learned that can be useful to other people, right? So like Jimmy Fallon, it was talking about how to find your why. Bethany Frankel, I talked about time management. I understand sometimes people email me and they complain, why is a celebrity on the cover of Entrepreneur? A celebrity has you know all the money and advantages that I don't. I totally, totally get it. I will just tell you it's a marketplace reality that when I put a random person on the cover, it doesn't sell very well. And what I want most of all is to make sure that this is a healthy and robust brand and it's reaching people and helping people. It's not a celebrity magazine. It's not full of celebrities, but there is a celebrity almost always on the cover. So that's uh, that's, that's your answer. Yeah, so like whoever's the whiner, like, come on. <laughs> I get it all the time. Oh my god. All the time. Well, well, well. Hey, hey, buddy, no one cares about your concrete business. <laughs> famous, so the Jason will put you on the cover. Well, hey man, um, look, really appreciate your time. This is a lot of fun. So look, we got the new book coming out, Bill for Tomorrow. Where can people find that? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, I appreciate that. So you can find Bill for Tomorrow wherever you get books. Whenever you're listening to this, you could pre-order it now. And if you do, I'll be your best friend. Uh, so, you know, just, just go find it on Amazon or anywhere else, Build for Tomorrow. And if you would like to be in touch or if you would like da-da-da, my free training on how to become more adaptable, very related to the book, all you got to do is go to jasonpfeiffer.com and click on free training. Uh, Jason Pfeiffer, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com and click on free training. Uh, it's an hour course that I put together with some really great lessons on how to become more adaptable, how to see opportunity as or how to see change as opportunity. And I hope you find it useful. Well, look, we're going to um, go ahead and put that in the show notes. So guys, you know how to connect with Jason. And by the way, um, I always like to support authors. So I'm going to buy 10 copies of your book. I appreciate that, man. My friends. So I just do that through the website for the best way. Yeah, you can just do that. Do that. Uh, your your retailer of choice, but I, that is very nice. I 
if I had a hat, I would tip it to you. That's very, very generous. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, guys, what a great show. Um, so thankful to have you here, Jason. I'm so glad we could connect. And I'm really excited for the book and all the things you're doing in the world, man. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks for the great conversation. I really enjoy it. All right. Peace out, everybody. We'll talk to you guys soon. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.